Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey everybody, welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me here on the show, I have Laura Kendall, who is the VP of Marketing at Mad Kudu. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. So for those of you who are listening, I just have to give a shout out to Laura. She is very gracious. We actually recorded this podcast a couple months ago and being a dummy, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, it was <laughs> Friday. I didn't hit record. And here we are a couple months later doing this again. So this is uh that was our trial run, but totally. um, welcome back to the show, I guess is a better way to put it. <laughs> hey, I, you know, two second time's a charm and yeah, I, I think it's great. We get to spend more time together. <laughs> yeah. Now here's the thing. I don't remember what I asked you uh, to open up the show last time, but I'll just throw something out there. If you had to choose between Coke and Pepsi, what would you choose? Coke. I, I, I grew up with a parents that drank diet coke almost um exclusively and and so i'm carrying on the tradition and that is my (laughs) guilty pleasure my vice if you will now is that because of a marketer or because it was handed down through the generations handed down through the generations. there you go because i get a lot obviously a lot of marketers are like the brand of coke is so you know so much better than pepsi so i i wasn't sure but that that makes sense you just like the taste of it I, i don't even know if it's that but i think it like it's, it's interesting when you compare it and the marketing realm, because, you know, think about like repeat customers That's or, true. Yeah. you know, and, and so that word of mouth is, I think, I think I'm guilty of that. <laughs> hey, it works. There is a real life example for you. Um, well, very cool. So obviously you're familiar with what we're going to be talking about today, which is what should we be measuring when it comes to marketing and B2B marketing? And, you know, I think this is a pretty popular topic. I've had multiple people on the show to just share what is going on in their realm. But I think that's a good thing because no marketer is the same. Everybody is doing things differently and everyone has a different approach to B2B marketing and marketing in general. So as we dive into that, um, you know, I want people to know that like, there's no perfect way to do marketing. Uh, there is, there's your way and the way that, you know, you're going to go. And this is how, how Laura does it. And hopefully there's some things, uh, that you can take from this. And that is the goal today. So, um, you know, I think to open this up, why is it important that marketers need to understand that you really actually don't need to measure everything? Why is that critical? Yeah. I mean, I think as, as marketing leaders, right. If, if we're asking our teams to measure everything and we don't emphasize what is like the most important it's confusing. It, it confuses them and it doesn't answer the question of like, what should they be working to influence? Right. So narrowing that focus, I think is, is a, a critical piece. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, you know, an operational role. I've, I've kind of worn many hats um, throughout my career in B2B marketing, um, but I always gravitated towards the operations and demand gen kind of the you know, connection to pipeline revenue, the funnel metrics, KPIs, all of that was um, very exciting to me. And I used to spend a lot of time pulling metrics and data points every week, every month, just to feel good Mm -hmm. about being able to track like literally anything that someone might care about. And I think some of that was um, insecurity, right? As I was growing 
um, and, and getting more experience. Like, you know, what if someone asked me about X, Y, or Z? Like mm -hmm. I wanted to have the answer, but, um, you know, as I've learned and, and spent a lot of time in, you know, smaller teams and, you know, fastly growing startups, if you don't have dedicated operations or analytics resources, right? It, it can be a time suck to try to measure too many things. Um, so when you don't have unlimited time, um, you know, that's just another reason to focus on only like the critical KPIs and, and measuring what's important. But I would argue that even if you do have like, uh, you know, dedicated resources and ops and analytics, you should still be questioning how much time you're actually spending or they are spending building reports and dashboards just to look at things that you aren't even using to inform your planning or your strategy. Would you compare, you know, early in your career, the, the feeling of, I just want to feel good looking for some of these metrics that really don't matter as basically the same as like a dopamine hit to someone that is like, I just quickly have to respond in Slack during the workday because I feel busy and therefore I feel like I'm getting things done. Is that like comparable at all where it's like, you know, I just do it because I have to? I think so. I, I think there's something there, but, but I might argue that it's more of um, curiosity. Hmm. And for me, the driver was, I, there might be something that I don't know if, if I can look at all of the data in all different ways and, and data that I didn't look at last quarter, I want, I had an idea to look at it. Um, if I found something interesting that that would excite me. So I think I was on the quest for that, like diamond in the rough of insight. Yeah. Um, and, and that was at a time, right. When there weren't solutions, you know, like mad kudu, mm -hmm. um, that, that can, can surface some of those very, um, you know, interesting data points. So if there is someone in their career that is a similar marketing upbringing as you, what would you tell them? Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, metrics are not bad. It's the over obsession with them that can really kind of get you in trouble as a marketer. And there's a very blurry line, of course, but what would you tell them now that you're further in your career? Uh, if that is an obsession of theirs, or if they're just constantly curious, which again, blurred lines, we're not saying that's super bad, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, say, stay curious. Been there. Yeah. Questions. yeah. Um, I think focus is important and, you know, picking those, those key metrics and, and aligning those sharing them, being very open, like these are the things that we're measuring and here's why, because they align with our initiatives um, for the quarter, the year, whatever. So making sure that the rest of your leadership team is aware of it, making sure that your team is aware of it, but then have like on a monthly or quarterly basis, a deep dive into the different channels and programs. And, and that's when you can spend uh, maybe like a, a certain predefined set of time on diving in deeper. Um, so then you're not, you know, every week, like, oh gosh, what if I, what if I looked at, you know, the conversion rate from, from this to this, if I narrow it to a segment that doesn't include people that only viewed this web page, right? Like, um, you can ask those questions, um, at one point throughout the quarter instead yeah. of multiple times. You know, I really like that approach because you do need to keep the curiosity there. And like we're saying, there's nothing wrong with the metrics, but if you set up some guardrails to really do that deep dive, you're mm -hmm. not going to constantly get distracted. Um, I like that a lot. You said that was once a quarter. Yeah. I mean, we do, I've done it monthly um, mm -hmm. where you, you know, take all of your programs, your channels, you know, initiatives and, and do a deeper dive. Um, and it's a good opportunity for the team to get comfortable with, with data and, you know, reporting metrics that 
are a little bit more intricate and, um, you know, cause I think that every marketer needs to be comfortable in, in, you know, this marketing operation space. Yeah. Yeah. And one of those ways that we try to get comfortable is looking for the perfect answer with data. I think that's <laughs> kind of across the board when it comes to marketers. Why do you think it's okay not to have that perfect answer? That's always backed up by the research that we've done. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think even taking a step back. Mm-hmm. So when we decide what to do as a marketing team, right? If, if we force marketers to only pick the ideas that had a, a tried and true or proven way to measure ROI or success, we would be at risk of not letting them find creative you know, approaches or you know, there'd be this fear of the unknown, like, oh, we haven't done that before, so I don't know how to measure it, so let's maybe not do it, right? So I think you know, we would be missing out on some like innovative approaches to sales and marketing. Um, You know, I also like the B2B buyer journey just isn't linear. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think there is a perfect answer. Um, So it's it's kind of, you know, perfection is not a great thing to strive for. Right. Um, And I think attribution might be a good example of this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it does get a bad rap. (laughs) I, I think it's a useful tool to, to inform like resourcing, and to look at trends over time, right? Um, but it's it's definitely missing the full picture. Um, and, and Sam, I don't know about you, but like for me, I if I purchase a, a software that that my team or my company is going to use, I'm going to talk to my network. I'm going in Slack communities. I'm you know chatting with my my friends that are in similar roles, mm-hmm. and that type of word of mouth just like it, it can't be measured through traditional software. Um, and, you know, like I, I can't put that into a dashboard or, yeah. or a report out of my CRM. And, and there's a lot of things, unfortunately, in marketing that are, are the same, right? And so this is where things like anecdotal data can be helpful to inform whether an initiative is working or not. Um, but bottom line, what, what I try to remind myself and my team of is, is to focus on the, the customer centricity and, and make sure that whatever we're doing is is a buyer centric, um, you know, process message program, um, versus something that is, is seller centric. You know, it brings up a, an example of something that's happened to us over and over again is when people reach out to us, we have on our form, a, how do you, how did you hear about us? Open yeah. text field. I mean, uh, Chris Walker hammers this home, but we've implemented it as well. And you, you make it a required, uh, part of your form, right? A required field. And the insights that we've been able to gather from it are pretty wild because like Mm -hmm. you said, you would never know that someone talked about you in a Facebook group. You would never know that so-and-so referred you to this person who referred you to this person. Mm -hmm. And it's insane what people will are just willing to explain to you in that field. And you can't measure that as a marketer. I mean, there are some ways that you can stick that into a spreadsheet, but it's really tough. And those are the insights that you can get if you're not just this cookie cutter marketer that's trying to fit everything in a box uh, right. with the drop down menu of how'd you hear about a social media referral or uh, <laughs> SEO, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Or you search yeah. this on Google. Um, you have way more depth as a marketer, I guess is how I'd frame it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. I think that's a great approach. So when it comes to the board, um, a lot of times they're looking for business results and as marketers, we like to dig deep, like we've been saying, uh, looking for those those metrics. The C the C suite really doesn't care about at the end of the day. Um, how do you strike the balance there? Yeah, 
it's a it's a good question. Um, and the B two B buying journey, right? If it's if it's not linear, how are funnels like? You know, the board and leadership really like funnels and conversion rates, uh-huh. but like on the other hand, like is the funnel the right thing to be reporting on? If like we all believe that nobody enters on the top and flows, you know, through the the same way, they go out, so, back in yeah, to the side. Over. Almost yeah. to the bottom, back up, back to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whoever's cracked that code, you know, yeah. have them on the show. Um, but but I think that, that first and foremost, like report on metrics that your C-suite and and the board cares about. Like if they if they don't care about them, don't mm-hmm. don't track them, um, or get them to care about them. I um, I see a lot of folks that like grew up in in operations heavy roles, like myself included. Sometimes struggle with um, what I call like data overload. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe showing too much of the the data and analysis behind a particular learning, um, and unfortunately, that becomes like distracting, right? Especially for those that aren't aren't um, close to the data or they're yeah. or they're too far removed. Um, so when when you share too much data without clear takeaways, right? Distraction. Um, I think. When communicating with executives, what we should try to do is, is lead with the, the learning, lead with the takeaway, tell a story, you know, like don't just show the data, tell the story and the mm-hmm. takeaways and, and then, you know, support it with only the data that or charts or whatever it is, right? Make the data look good um, that relate to that learning you're highlighting, um, which is not always easy to do, right? And yeah. especially if you're excited about data, excited about all the things you're learning, you want to point out all of the things. But what is what is really the one or two things that that are um, you know going to be what you want them to walk away with? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe related. I think you know I've been thinking a lot about like vanity metrics, and you see people talk about it, and and I think it's just a really interesting topic. Um, like, don't get me wrong, I, I certainly don't think going to a board meeting and, and throwing up a slide that has you know email open rate, social mm-hmm. followers, like click through rates, you know, not a good idea. Um, you know, what you measure needs to have some context, like we're talking yeah. about, but, but email open rates and clicks are, are, you know, while they're certainly vanity metrics, they do serve a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it can tell you as a marketer, you know, how engaged your opted in audience is, or, you know, how relevant your messaging and your content is and, and social following also a vanity metric, right? But it serves a purpose as well. You know, you can understand your reach, you can, you know, understand the potential for community. And so, you know, if things like this are helpful to the story you're trying to tell, I think it's great to include that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't positive signals, you know, at the end of the day, positive signals are good. Right. Right. So, you know, if, if they're supportive, absolutely include them. If they're not like leave them out and, you know, that's something you can, you know, dive into in those like monthly or quarterly or weekly KPI Mm -hmm. reviews with your team. You know, something I think that sets marketers apart is the discipline on when to follow their gut and when not to. Um, I think that's a pretty, you know, good gift when it comes to marketers. Is that something that you do quite often? And what does that look like uh, in the B2B world when it comes to following like a hunch, your gut, whatever it may be? Yeah, I'd I'd love to say that. Yes, I always follow my gut, my hunch, and it's always right, but (laughs) I'd be lying. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, 2022, I think where we've had to kind of pivot as a marketing community over the last couple of years 
just as a result of the pandemic, right? Like it changed a lot of things. And, you know, our old playbooks, they no longer work. We've all had to get, you know, pretty uncomfortable, um, try new things, but we can't also completely do away with mm -hmm. the things that were working, um, you know, those tried and true channels and, and approaches. But, you know, I think what sets marketers apart is, you know, and maybe this is, is gut instinct, like saying no, like figuring out what to say no to um, and being completely focused. And I think this is really hard. It's, it's very easy for, um, you know, us to say yes and be like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Yes, let's do that. Like everybody is a marketer. Like your audience probably maybe is laughing at that, right? Because everybody- They, are, they all know. Yet, <laughs> they all have had that happen. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, so, so there's endless ideas. And if you can pick two or three, you know, key pillars, key initiatives for whatever time frame, whether it's quarterly for the year, um, and use those as a way to um, make it easier to use that instinct, that hunch, that gut feeling to say no to things. I think it's it, it makes our our world, our jobs a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, so let me give you like so three ex example of how how we do this. Um, we have we have three kind of key pillars that that my team is focused on. The first is grow the brand, right? We want to grow our awareness and, and continue to kind of punch above our weight class. Um, win the exec. Uh, we want to elevate our messaging, start targeting more of the the C suite that has has that buying and purchasing power. And then the third is customer love. Um, you know, we talk about word of mouth, activating that channel, and and fostering the sense of advocacy um, is another big part of our strategy. So if if an idea comes about, if you know there's an opportunity that presents itself that is outside of these three, you know, key pillars or focus areas, we really have to question whether mm -hmm. or not it's worth investing in and potentially distracting from what we've decided and agreed as a company, as a leadership team, are the right things to focus on. So um, maybe a, a backwards answer, but I, I do think, you know, the ability to say no and, you know, might make it easier to follow those, those hunches you know, or, or help you, you know, like if you have a strong hunch or gut feel that it's something outside of those three things is worthwhile, then you can, you know, do a bit deeper of, of, a I don't know, analysis on, on what your hypothesis might potentially bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, a distraction can be crippling for sure. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it also could be something incredible that is right. already working for another brand, but could it work for you? Yes. But the thing is you're pulling resources from something else that is already working and you're putting those resources and resources. You're probably splitting them right down the middle because you don't want to stop what's going on. And then right. both don't go you know, really anywhere you, you cripple what you've already started and then you don't do justice to what you're already working on. So I think, does it, does it come down to like allocating maybe 10% of resources to kind of test some new things? Like, how do you approach that when, you know, something that looks like a real opportunity comes along, are you really strict on saying no, or is it, you know what, we'll kind of test the waters on this. I think it depends. I think there's some things where, you, where it's easier to test, but, but in some cases to like really do a new initiative justice, you, you need to put more resources into it. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I might challenge and say that what you're suggesting is, is just going back to saying yes to everything. Right. Yeah. If, if we're just going to like, yeah. we'll, we'll just test a little bit here. And so uh -huh. it's like a great example. It's hard because 
um, you know, it means you're leaning in and, and giving 110% into um, a, a few things at the risk of not doing other things. And so, um, you know, we have a tough job of, of figuring out what those, those few things are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so when it comes to being agile and nimble as marketers, can you define that for us? What does that look like in the words of Laura? <laughs> Ningle, I think <laughs> nimble and agile, right? I like it. Um, yeah, I you know I've spent a lot of my my career in in early stage startups, and I think the the beauty is that teams that are small they can pivot quickly, mm-hmm. right? And and they can make things happen quickly. There isn't a lot of red tape. There's not a lot of politics, right? Um, there's there's a reason that larger marketing teams like strive to you know be more like the, the startup marketing team or, or be scrappier. Um, you know, so I, I think for me, it, it, it does connect with that, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, being, being agile, being nimble is acting like a smaller team and, and, um, you know, not being afraid to, to fail and, and break things because you don't have to worry about that in a startup. There aren't, you know, pre-existing processes that will be broken as a result of yeah. making a big shift. Um, and it is actually a necessity to, to move quickly and test things. Um, you know, agility and and velocity are, are two things that are pretty core to what we allow marketers to do with the mad kudu platform and, and, you know, go to market is moving more quickly than ever. So as B2B marketers, we have to move quickly and, and we have to be able to support multiple go-to-market motions. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not just inbound. It's not just outbound. It's, it's you know, there's product-led growth. There's account-based marketing. There's, you know, channel marketing. There, there's all these different funnels that we have to worry about. And so if, if we are able to, um, you know, operationalize all of the data that we have more quickly, we can scale more efficiently. And, and that only happens if you're, you're setting yourself and your team up to be able to be agile and nimble. Yeah. So at this point in the interview, I like to switch things up and give you the opportunity to be the podcast Yay. host. So if you have some questions uh, you want to shoot my way, uh, let's mix things up here. Yes. Okay. So first, since you know, I brought up product-led growth now, I'm, I'm curious. There's a lot of buzz, right? We talk about it a lot at MadKudu. It's core to what our platform does, but I'm, I'm curious in your marketing self, how do you see PLG transforming the role of marketing in B2B? And I, I see it very prevalent in the future for sure. I don't know if that's two years, four years, six years out. Um, but I don't see why more companies won't be going that direction simply because it makes, if you do it right, it makes it way easier for the buyer. And what I mean by doing Mm -hmm. it right is giving the buyer the best resources, the easiest platform, and the smoothest experience to figure it out on their own. For example, Asana has a free tier. That's the project management software Mm -hmm. that we use. And it's not hard to figure out Asana, right? They have the tools you need to to do what you need to do on the free free version. They have that that product-led growth motion. Yeah. And it's a simple tool to use. So I think if you have those factors baked into your SaaS tool, um, I think that it'll be pretty easy, not pretty easy, but I think it'll be more common uh, in the years to come. And I, I'm all for it because as a, as a consumer and a buyer, 
I live for that stuff. If it's easier for me to go in, get the tool, not have to talk to someone, try it out, see if I like it. I'm going to do that every single day of the week. And I know I'm not alone as, uh, in the, you know, in that realm. And I think you just have to put yourself in the buyer's shoes and think about, you know, what is the experience that I enjoy as a consumer and as a buyer and, you know, relay that to your team and be like, you know what, this is, this is how I like to buy. I'm not alone here. Talk to some people and you'll realize that, uh, you're probably not alone in wanting things easy. I think there's a lot more people out there that enjoy that as well. Yeah. Right. Back to the customer centricity, like put yes. yourself in the buyer's yeah, I'm all for that. that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and who wants to talk to salespeople these days? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> like that. If we're being um, honest. Yeah. So, all right. We're on a podcast. Second question yeah. for you. How do you drive podcast listens? What's your mm, secret? Great question. Um, there's a couple of different factors. I was actually just talking to someone about this the other day. Uh, one, the content has to deliver. So for example, um, I'm not talking the production quality. Mm-hmm. but the quality of the information or the content that you're producing, right? So for example, this show needs to deliver value that people can take away and implement as marketers. Now, once you check that box, people will start telling you, hey, I heard about this on your show. Like I really enjoy it. And you'll get that qualitative feedback. Now, mm-hmm. where people run into an issue is their distribution sucks and no one ever hears about the show, no matter how good the content is. The content is. Yeah. So you either have a content problem or a distribution problem. So you need to solve both. So for distribution, the biggest thing that that I like to do is create bite-sized content. Um, and we did this very early in the beginning of the show. And now that it's picked up some steam, it's you can kind of take a, a step back a little bit because the word of mouth will pick up. But early on, you should be doing some video clips, um, maybe some graphics, some slide decks, and continually posting those to your social networks that actually have a following. Because again, you might just be spreading it to anybody and anyone and and no one's going to ever hear it because of that. Um, And then giving the value in those micro pieces of content, not a teaser per se, like, hey, this is what we talked about on the podcast. Here's a clip of the topic. Teasers aren't really what people are looking for. They want to be able to, in the feed, get the value, implement what they're looking for and say, oh, you know what? That's a great idea and not have to listen to the show. Now they, they don't do want that. to leave the platform, right? Like, like yeah. you should be giving them the content in the, the view that they're currently at. Whether, yeah, whether you, like I said, you make a short video, whether you make a, a graphic, a slide deck, you could even take, um, you know, the overall concept and just write a LinkedIn post. I mean, you can take different parts of your podcast and that could be the quickest way to get out there. And then in your comments, you can say, hey, if you want to explore this more, people are not going to explore it more off the bat. You will get a couple of subscribers, sure. But when you consistently do that and you consistently put out that short form content that delivers value, and I hate, it's so cliche to say deliver value. What I mean by that is they need to have a takeaway from that video or that piece of content. And eventually they're going to have this spark and this trust with you and say, you know what? I kind of want to check out that podcast. I really like Laura's content. I really like Sam's content on LinkedIn. And then they're going to explore. You're going to have the link right there. You're going to make it easy for them to find. Um, Simply posting the link and saying, hey, uh, you know, we just dropped a new podcast today. Check it out. No one's going to click on that. That's not a distribution strategy. So nail the distribution strategy. Make sure your content delivers. And, uh, you know, I think that's a recipe for success. Love it. Yeah. 
Well, Laura, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I thank am, you. you know, I'm very thankful you came back on to share your marketing insights. Um, before we go, I always like to hear what, uh, you know, marketers are up to with their companies. So what is Mad Kudo? I know we kind of brushed on that a little bit, but what do you guys do? Yeah, so we are a, um, a BLG platform. We, we help and, and allow B2B sales and marketing teams um, use data and science to run their, their product-led motions, but also all of their other go-to-market motions um, without relying on engineers. I like it. Well, Laura, thank you so much. This has been uh, quite the pleasure having you back. I think this is even better than our first one. Uh, yeah. Not that people will ever know, but that's okay. <laughs> well, it has to be, right? If we had a trial. Exactly, exactly. Well, Laura, thank you so much. And we'll have to do this again, all right? Thanks, Sam.